This is Suzanne York with Humans Optimized. We specialize in change management for technology adoption by bringing together advancements in technology with elevated human skills. Our aim is to cultivate human-to-human and human-to-technology collaboration. This combination will allow us to take advantage of the immense opportunities in the future of work. Transformation is defined as a dramatic and complete change. It's become part of our corporate speak, and it's meant to signify that giant leaps and monumental progress are necessary to keep pace and gain advantage. And yet, most changes happen through the accumulation of small steps that add up along the way. What if, instead of taking on dramatic transformations, we approach technology adoption through incremental change? Dan Moore, co-founder of Vaporware, leads his organization in helping business founders pivot their business through process automation, technical modernization, and software innovation. Dan, thanks for talking with me today. Thanks for having me, Suzanne. Well, I was very intrigued to learn that Vaporware has helped deliver thousands of iterations across dozens of apps. It was fun for me to read that because it's a different way of describing technology launches. You know, usually I'm used to hearing people tout the the number of applications, but not necessarily the iterations. So what's the mission of Vaporware and why is the iterative approach so integral to your business? It's a great question. So the the mission of of vaporware is really stemmed in this belief that software is is changing the world. Um, a lot of people say that software has changed the world, uh, but uh, kind of along the lines of our topic today, we believe that that change is constantly ongoing. Um, yes. the The problem with that is that so many businesses still completely misunderstand software. And and so we're on a mission to change that. We're on a mission okay. to help those businesses understand and, and use software to their advantage. So in what way do they misunderstand software? So uh, a lot of tech, a lot of companies look at software as the goal um, where we consider software to be a, a pivotal foundation of the businesses themselves. So just like your people uh, are a pillar of your company, we believe software is an, is an equal pillar to those people. Well, and that actually resonates with me because many times I've had clients say to me, we just need to implement the software and then everything will be fine. And Absolutely. and that is the end that they're thinking is is the promise of the sop- software implementation, where it's just not even the beginning. Absolutely, there's uh, this mindset and, and a framework that we subscribe to called the Satir model of change, and a, a lot of times um, a status quo is disrupted and and new performance is is gained based on a foreign element. And that foreign element is considered software or some process change or some new person joining an organization to to increase this performance and, and get it to a better place. And as, as you said, it's, it's just the beginning or not even the beginning because that's just the, the uh, catalyst of, mm. of the, of the equation and the change that's, going to happen. And 
often that catalyst causes problems in that in that satir model of change there's a, a pit of chaos that comes before um the the change is really accepted and starts improving performance so yeah. i think we've is, all experienced that pit of chaos what were you gonna say <laughs> absolutely and it, it's it's just not understood and it I think that problem stems from a couple of different places, but one is definitely how software is is sold as a fix and as a solution, as a as the burger to our hunger uh, mm. that that we crave that solution. Um, but that's just the beginning. That's not the solution. Well, and going back to this idea of the pit of despair, which I like it because it just makes it real. Um, you know, it's to me, it's not the technology, but it's people's reaction to the technology that creates that pit. And I liked how you described it a foreign object because that does really paint the picture of whether, you know, the, the option of whether or not we accept this different thing, this foreign object into the ways of working. And so what have you done or how do you see people navigating that pit of despair? Is there a way to make that pit a little more shallow and a little less daunting? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point is that there are two different aspects to that. You can make that shallow and and less painful. And so we look at that as in terms of intensity of that pit and then uh, length or or just the time it takes uh, to come out of that pit. So um, we've done uh, a few things, both internally in our own company as well as with our clients. And, and one is just becoming comfortable in change. And how we do that is we lower the intensity of change and, and take this iterative approach that you alluded to uh, very early on and uh, do that as frequently as possible. And so change itself becomes the norm. Mm. Well, and the intensity of change, that's interesting because with transformation, I see companies using that as a rallying cry for the organization. Mm-hmm. And it's a big leap to make. Um, it is intense. It is somewhat daunting. It's very confusing. It can be anyway. Um, but in your case of using iterations and making change less intense by making it smaller and more frequent, you, you mentioned doing that inside of your own company as well as with clients. Where where does that where do you see that really having a positive effect? It it definitely has um, great outcomes when when done properly. Um, yeah. That it, transformation and and is by no means um, unobtainable. Plenty of organizations go through it. It's it's just the difference between I, I have um, uh, just a passion in biology. And so it's this difference between mutation and individuals undergoing change versus a a more evolutionary approach where it's much larger and on a grander scheme and uh, over a lot longer period of time. And from the perspective of, of incremental change, of small steps and taking an organization um, through all the steps required to get to that new status quo or the new outcomes of higher performance, um, 
is a journey and it's not a single event that all of a sudden it's, it's going to be great the next day. It's looking at the current state, the current status quo and seeing what are the, what are the changes necessary to uh, migrate all of those individuals and processes and technology pieces a step at a time and, and helping lead those individuals through that entire journey. And much of that comes from being clear on where you're trying to go in the first place. And for some, they might hear this and say, oh, that's just not fast enough. I mean, we're in an always-on culture. We're used to two-day delivery from Amazon or immediate gratification through Google, whatever the case may be. Do you have to convince people that this is the way to go or how how have you gotten buy-in for the, the approach mm. of iteration versus um, huge leaps? That's a, that's a good question. I think, I think a lot of our clients have come to us because the, the way that they've done change hasn't worked for them in the past mm. and has, has caused too many problems, too much turnover, um, too many broken systems, too many unhappy customers and it's not good enough and they know that there's something better out there and what we do is we propose a couple of different perspectives so one is that low intensity high frequency approach Um, uh, another would be that instead of leading top down um, having that vision is incredibly important of where you want to go so that you head in the right direction but the people at the individual layer and the technology at the, at the very specific layer that's going to be changing that direction and, and headed on that journey are the ones that need to direct the change. So what I mean by that is uh, the change itself needs to be self-directed. And we do that through a couple of techniques. One in particular is laying out the vision in a way that's understandable by each part of the organization and letting those people come to their own conclusions on where their piece to the entire system and the entire change needs to, needs to be different. And it's, it's fascinating in the cases that are incredibly successful. Those individuals actually come up with better solutions than what the top-down changes and Mm. and they are bought in immediately and and all these other things that are incredibly hard to force on a really talented workforce because they were part of that process and so it's it's very much akin to just removing the curtain and and unveiling uh how the sausage is made um and, and looking at how we see these large organizations go through monumental disruptive changes, it's, it's really under the covers just a bunch of small tweaks and changes. So it's, it's very enlightening for um, when, when we see clients that haven't done it successfully to do it successfully the first time and it's immediately recognizable and 
our our job of getting people to buy into it is simply let's do a little bit first and see if it works. And mm. it's a very small investment comparatively and is as soon as it's it's almost ad- addictive in a way because as soon as you experience it, you can't imagine doing it any other way because it's it works. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, I, I picture in that centralizing the vision, so what are we doing and why, but decentralizing how we get there and letting teams and individuals within the company who are closest to the work define the actual changes that need to happen to achieve the vision. Absolutely. And and going back to that uh, satir model of change, uh, we call that the, the foreign element of forcing that change in is no longer foreign because it's now owned by that individual. And so it's a, it's a domestic element, it's their own. And the transforming idea that's, that's going to get them to a higher level of performance and a new, um, status quo is their own and they get to own it. And there's no longer that, that pit that of chaos. Mm. Well, and we hire incredibly smart people, so why not let them lead the change and buy into it and create? I like that that image of it's now domestic and not foreign, and therefore, you know, really something that just comes along as opposed to something that's forced down. Absolutely, and and so that's what we've done internally as well. Is that um, hiring really smart people? That is a, a core piece of our mission. Um, uh, another way that we look at that is there's a book, um, Range by David Epstein, that talks about the power of generalists versus specialists. Mm. And we look for those very dynamic generalists with a lot of variety in the work that they do. And uh, we feel that those people as individuals have an incredible capacity for new things and they get excited by that. And so to some degree, we believe that everyone has that capacity and just might not have that experience and finding where individuals are in terms of, um, uh, not just intelligence, but, uh, their dynamic range of what they're interested in really builds that right kind of organization that can undergo so much change so quickly. And our goal as an organization is to do that faster and faster. But in general, that's that's still this model of uh, a high frequency of low intensity changes. That's going to stick with me. High frequency, low intensity. I can even see that in my my own life in the areas where I'm looking to drive some personal and professional development. Um, so that's a great model for me to keep in mind. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, and, and Vaporware is about software and bringing software ideas to market. So... For many of that, these that you're doing, it's custom software, which comes with it this um, image of complexity or high cost or not possible for me. How do you think about custom software and how do you help other people consider whether that could be an option for them in this buy versus build conversation mm. that's constantly happening? Absolutely. Um, so 
it's it's definitely easy to propose that conversation as um, I can buy something off the shelf and it would magically solve our problems versus I have to build and make it work for me. And following along this mindset of, of incremental change, even if you buy a solution that can do a lot using that solution and, and adapting your business to that solution takes a, an incredible amount of time. Like the more places it touches, uh, the more people involved. Um, we've, we've helped a lot of organizations, for example, adopt uh, Salesforce as a core technology. And I think it's notorious for um, being... Uh, so vital to all these different organizations that even the smallest changes have these grand ripple effects. And from that perspective, we look at all software as it's building. It's just how much building are we doing? And do we want to do organizational building or technology building or legal building or some other kind of, of building. And we look at just a wider variety of options where we can build with open source software or previously uninvestigated choices where we need technologists, developers, um, designers, product managers to make sure that we're, we're building and, and, heading in the right direction. And so using Excel or Salesforce or a CRM or any off the shelf solution undergoes a very similar process to building what we call custom software. But at the end of the day, we're not building technology from scratch. We're combining pieces together in an intelligent way for the right outcomes. So uh, at a high level, one way to look at it is, do we want to transform the organization to match software or do we want to transform the software to match the organization? And where is that line? That's that's a new definition for me because you're right. I always think about the buy versus build conversation being solely about the technology. But in all cases, something else needs to get built, whether it's the tech or the process. Absolutely. And and we like to look at it where you're, you're spending uh, in one way or another, because there's no magic bullet, but where is that? Who is that? Is that money that's already spent somewhere? Um, so one thing that we do is we definitely look at the existing technologies that are owned. Um, we have a, uh, a process that investigates and maps out the current state that the organization is in so that we're not introducing too many foreign elements and new systems and uh, transforming ideas all at the same time and, and taking that iterative approach. And so how does a company or a leader or a decision maker know where they they fall on that spectrum. So meaning they probably recognize there's an opportunity to do something differently. Maybe they've got a problem they want to solve or an opportunity they're trying to get after, but they might not know how to make sense of it or to know where they land. 
do you have a way of helping customers and, cl- and potential clients make sense of their situation to know what to do next? Absolutely. So we have a, a planning or a mapping service that allows us to explore uh, organizational changes all the way to new business models. Um, and, and we've pulled uh, a lot of that process from um, some incredibly smart people. Um, one in particular that a lot of it is focused on is the design sprint methodology, yes. um, which came out of Google Ventures. And Jake Knapp wrote an excellent book called Sprint. I'm a big fan. I took his, he came to Boston in January of this year, which I can't believe it was January. It feels like two years ago. Um, And so I took it and had a chance to meet him. Um, It's a great methodology. Absolutely. One, one thing that I I think is, is clear as day on the cover, but a lot of people don't understand the far reaching implications of is that it's really about time boxing Mm -hmm. and the time boxing approach, um, is true in everything that we do in that we have to decide when's the cutoff and understanding where the cutoff is and how much we're willing as an organization to invest in these changes is the defining factor for the size of bets that we make and the frequency and how many iterations can we go through and everything else that comes from it. And so from a planning and organizational perspective, we really like to align with our customers on what are they willing to invest, not money-wise, but time-wise, yeah. into this transformation. Sure. Where's the energy going? And, and to your point on the time boxing, that's, that is, can be natural and uncomfortable for people, meaning certain personality types, they like the time box, they, they have just enough information to move forward, and they're excited and they can go. And other people, the time box is highly uncomfortable because they want more details and data and to figure out additional plans. Um, and, and, and organizations have personalities too. So, um, mm-hmm. so the time boxing, I think, is really effective because you do need to move forward and put a cap on how long you take to analyze something. Um, and I, I recognize it can be uncomfortable for people to do that too. Absolutely. We we have a, a methodology in our consulting that we don't say no to anything. We say not now. And mm. it's it's the time factor is uh, just the ultimate filter of ideas and priorities. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to realize a change within a ter- certain deadline. And from that same mindset, we're able to reach the goals that we want to on time and on budget because we stick to those as the number one priority. Even in the face of other options, because you do that clarity, the focus, and the commitment to getting to what's next once this one's done. It's a, it's a new way. I see a lot of frenetic, you know, what do we do next from a prioritization standpoint because there are so many options. Absolutely. And and that's not to say we don't look at all the other options and we don't yeah. do a, a good job in the in the time allotted, but there's always more time. There's always tomorrow that we can come back and and realize more value and uh, play with a higher vision. And where we found executives and leaders best suited in this process is setting forth the vision and 
they can come in and change and, and uh, direct course, but the ones moving the ship and, and propelling us forward is on that iterative approach. And one question that might come up for people is, you know, we hear the term MVP or minimum viable product, and some people are starting to say, well, all you end up getting is the MVP. How do you counteract that um, potential concern that people might have? Mm. MVP is a very, very loaded term. Um, Isn't it? <laughs> it is It is well understood by technologists and well understood by by business owners, and those are completely different understandings. Um, uh. I think I think what the challenge that those organizations might be running into is aligned with, those time boxed bets and investments where an MVP might be that first investment that they're willing to make. But then the question is, what's that next investment that they're willing to make? And and if they're stuck with the MVP, then they're not willing to make the continued changing in investments. And how we've counteracted that is everything from a really simple approach where we can take an initial investment and slim it down to a fifth of its size and do five of them just that much faster um, to uh, kind of reframing what an MVP is from a technologist point of view or from a business point of view. And I, I heard the term recently, um, and I think this, this came from Elon Musk with SpaceX and um, someone said that it's a better than nothing beta. And it's, it's true is that it's better than nothing, but that's a really, really low bar to hit. And it, it's not something you're ever proud of. And it's not something you necessarily even take to market. Um, Oh, it was, it was from the Starlink product that they offered their new satellite internet that they're working on. Okay. And, um, the few people that have gotten their hands on it have been told that it's, this is better than nothing. <laughs> like that's, that's where <laughs> you're sitting right now. We have yeah. grand visions, but right now all that it is, is just better than nothing. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because then you wonder, well, then what's the point? Well, the point is to start to gain momentum. The point is to have that absolutely that momentum to make those iterative changes and to have something to change. If you don't have something to to get started with, you can't you can't change it. So if mm-hmm. you're constantly releasing new iterations internally but never taking them to customers and customers never see those, it's not a change to them. It's it's the same as as every day to them. So yeah. that yeah. perspective is absolutely vital. Well, that's fascinating. Well, we have covered quite a bit of ground, everything from uh, low intensity to high frequency changes to considering other ways of going about buy versus build, uh, whether it's the technology or the work around the technology and the people, um, and also being able to leverage Jake Knapp's uh, methodology in assessing where are you and where do you want to go and how do you time box yourself in to identifying the problem that you want to solve and getting after it um, and, and many more things that we mentioned. What haven't we covered that you were hoping we'd get to today? 
Oh, I think that was that was quite a bit. I um, know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that covers it. There's plenty more, and there's there's ways to improve that we're still working on. Of great, we have all these things. We've seen these great successes. How can we do more? How can we be faster? Yeah. Um, and there's whole new discussions that come when when you adopt these models. So. Um, I'm, I'm excited to, to hear how other people are adopting similar models or what's the next challenge that they're running into. So, yes. Well, in, in that same vein, how can people reach out to you if they want to learn more or find out about optimizing their business in new and different ways through your, your organization's approach? Absolutely. You can, you can find us at vaporware.net. Um, and myself, uh, I'm both very active on LinkedIn as well as you can reach me directly at dan at vaporware.net. Awesome. Well, Dan Moore, this has been a great conversation and I'm sure people have just as many takeaways as I have. And I appreciate your time and look forward to seeing what's next for you and Vaporware. Thanks so much for having me, Suzanne. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information and to contact us, visit www.humansoptimized.com.